Okay, Genesis chapter 9. We've been talking about the God of the covenants. We've discovered that God is a covenant-making God. God loves to make covenants. A covenant is an agreement between God and man. Now, there are all kinds of covenants. We discussed all the different kinds of covenants uh, in our human experience. Marriage is a covenant. Uh, uh, buying a house on with a mortgage, that's, there's a covenant there. Even even becoming a member of a, a neighborhood, the, the neighborhood has covenants. And there's all kinds of uh, covenants in the world. But what we're concerned about here in church especially is the covenants that we have with God. Amen. Because God has made has gone out of His way. The God of the universe has gone out of His way to be a part of our lives. And not just a part of our lives, but a saving, redeeming, blessing part of our lives. And it hasn't been uh, just uh, a snap for Him. He's had to go through a, a procedure, a process of introducing Himself to the human people. And then becoming one of us, and then taking our place uh, in uh, in paying the penalty of our sin and rebellion against Him, and then dying and coming alive again to be the head of the church. Yeah. And He's still active in our lives. He's still a part of our lives. Every day, God wants to reveal more and more and more and more and more of Himself to you so that you can benefit more and more and more from your relationship with Him. And covenants are a big part of that process. And uh, not only is God a covenant maker, we've found out that God is also a covenant keeper. You can't make God break a covenant. Amen. When God says something, He keeps His word. God is not a man that He should lie, nor the son of men that He should repent. If He said it, he will also do it. That's a fact. And when God makes a covenant, God, God is making a commitment to whoever He's making the covenant with to do certain things and to be a certain uh, uh, influence in that person's life to uh, bless them and promote them. And all God requires in, ex in exchange is, is uh, faith and obedience. Now say amen. amen. And, uh, and so if God says, take your son, your only son, uh, over to yon mountain and offer him up as a sacrifice, if you're faithful, obedient Abraham, you pick up your sticks and your, and your torch and you walk your son up that mountain and you bind him to the altar and you prepare to offer him as a sacrifice, just like God said. And then God says, now I know that you didn't just make a deal with me that you were going to break. Now I know that uh, you're as, as good as your word Amen. and that you believe. And so God provided a substitute for Isaac. And that was, all, that, was, that was all part of that covenant that God had with Abraham, that if I need something and you don't have it, I'll come to your rescue and I'll provide it. Yeah. And there on the mountain, God need, you know, Abraham needed a, a sacrifice. And he was willing to offer his son because that's what God said. But God, being a good, faithful covenant member, came to Abraham's rescue and, and uh, uh, provided a ram caught in the thicket, which is a type of Christ who became our substitute at the cross. And 
people have argued, theologians have said over the years that that if Abram, if Abraham had failed that test with Isaac, then there would have been no Jesus. Amen. And it's kind of curious. The archaeologists say that the same mountain that Abraham offered Isaac on was the mountain Jesus was crucified on. So you can see that in the making of that covenant with Abraham long, long, long ago, God was making room in preparation for the new covenant that He was going to make in, in the blood of His own Son. You see that? Everybody looks just thrilled. But I'm, what I wanted you to see is, is, is in God's mind, when He makes a covenant, if He has to make another covenant to fulfill that first covenant and make that first covenant work more efficiently, He'll make another covenant and, and it'll be stronger and it'll involve more and more of the details and revelations of who God is. And then later on, God, is, He can make another covenant. Doesn't, it doesn't mean that the first covenant uh, failed. It just means it did its job in getting us down the track to our total uh, redemption. Amen. And, uh, and, and with each covenant, God uh, uh, provides the, the tenure of that covenant. Like when He made the covenant with Noah that He was not going to flood the earth. How many of you remember that covenant? Noah comes off the ark after the flood, after the waters had gone down and, and the ark was finally, they were able to get off. And he comes out of the ark, he offers up a sacrifice. Immediately he takes some of the animals and, that he had saved on the ark and he offers them up as a sacrifice to God. And that was a real sacrifice because those are the only animals left on the earth. And he, and he slaughters some of them right there as an offering to God. Now that, that's a true sacrifice. And God said, I'll never, I'll never, ever, 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 I will never, as long as the earth remains, I will never, ever destroy uh, all living kind with a, with a flood. Amen. And He said, as a sign, as something to be a remembrance for you, but also for me, He said, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. And, and whenever there's rain, whenever there's clouds, you know, there, there will be a rainbow as a reminder or a sign of this covenant. So uh, I want to talk to you about some of the signs of the covenant. And by the way, that covenant that's signified by the rainbow, how many of you know that no matter where you go in the world, you can see a rainbow? And you know why? It's because God made that covenant with the whole world. He made it with all of nature. He made it with all the animals, all the people, uh, every, every living thing that inhabits the earth, God made that covenant with. And do you know that covenant is an eternal covenant? It'll never be, it'll never be broken. It'll never... God... Now we do have floods. We do have um, tsunamis once in a while. But God has never allowed the water to cover the earth and drown everybody since that day. And the rainbow is, is, uh, is the sign of that covenant. But it was, made, it was made to everybody, all generations, as long as this earth is here. Now that doesn't preclude God from destroying the earth some other way. 
He could he could let us collide with a meteor. He could he could let he could let you know. He could let us destroy ourselves. He could he he is going to destroy the planet with a fire one day. Peter prophesied about that. So it is eventually going to burn up, but it never uh, never will he cover it with another flood. He will not allow that. So I don't have to worry about the ice caps melting and all of that gloom and doom stuff because because I know that God God is the one who determines the boundaries of the sea and that even though there may be high tides and even though there may be some uh, some surges once in a while it always goes back to those boundaries. It's an it's an awesome thing. Have you ever gone to the beach and just stood there on the beach and it's flat as it can be and the water's out there and you can see the horizon and you can tell there's a whole lot of water out there and it's a powerful it's a powerful element. Have you ever thought about that? And then you just watch that water just come right up and stop and go back and then it comes right up and stops and goes back and there's like an invisible boundary that says it can't go any further. Now, as the tide comes in and out, that varies. You know, that little boundary moves back and forth. But it never gets to 7144 Atlantic Boulevard, thank God. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? Well, that's not just, that's not just an automatic thing. That's God saying, I'm not going to allow you, I'm not going to allow the waters to destroy the earth again. So the rainbow in the sky is a sign to you that that covenant is still in effect. Amen? If God all of a sudden decided He's going to change His mind and for some reason He could justify uh, rescinding that covenant, we wouldn't see any more rainbows. But we still see them, don't we? And they're still just as spectacular. Every time you see one, you want to stop your car and take pictures. I think it's because it's tied to our soul and our and, and the knowledge that we have a God that keeps His covenants. Amen? Well, uh, let's talk about signs for a moment. In Genesis 9-12, God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Now, you know what perpetual generations means? It means forever and ever and ever and ever. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. That's a, man, that's a universal covenant. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And that sign is the rainbow. So every time you look at a rainbow, you are looking at a covenant between God and all living creatures on the earth. There's another covenant that, that we're well aware of, and that's the Abra Abrahamic covenant. We've talked a lot about Father Abraham. We've talked a lot about that covenant. Uh, but I want you to look in Genesis 17. We're going to look 
and see what the sign of that covenant is. What is the sign of that covenant? Genesis 17.10, he says, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Now let's just stop right there. What is the duration of this covenant? As long as they have descendants. <laughs> Amen? For, that's forever, right? How many of you see this is, this is a forever covenant? You know what that means? This covenant is still in effect in the earth. There's no place that God ever said He stopped it. And here, here, here was, and here was the sign. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, this is not a universal covenant. This is not pertaining to every living thing on the earth. It was pertaining to Abraham and his descendants. Circumcision is the sign of a covenant God made with a, a particular tribe of people. Any tribes outside of that tribe, the Egyptians, the, you know, the, uh, the Arabs, the, the Persians, the Syrians, you know, any, any tribe outside of that was not involved in this covenant. This was a covenant between God and a man and his descendants that they would be circumcised. And he even made it to the point that if anyone among you is not circumcised, you've broken the covenant. Amen. And so it was, God was serious about it. Well, we have, a covenant, we have a covenant with God that involves circumcision. Now, before anybody runs out screaming, it's the circumcision of the heart. And we'll talk about that later, but I, 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 want, you to, I want you to understand that, that uh, in, in, in as much as God has brought us into the Abrahamic covenant, there is still a circumcision that must be applied even to the Gentile. Now, the apostles re recognize that there's a difference between Gentiles and Jews. And what the Jews consider, you know, uh, a, 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 a bedrock part of their culture and their religious faith, which is circumcision, does not apply to Gentiles. I'm talking about physical circumcision. But we're all, in order to be a part of the new covenant, we're all required to have that heart circumcision. Yes, indeed. Because that's a sign of, Abra of the Abrahamic covenant. Circumcision is what brings us in as the sons and daughters of Abraham. That's circumcision of the heart. If you're not circumcised in your heart, then you cannot claim to be a descendant of Abraham or heir to his blessings. But by faith, we enter into what Jesus did on the cross. That's our circumcision. That where the flesh of Jesus was cut and the blood of Jesus was shed, that, that is our circumcision. And when we put our faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross, we become heirs of the Abrahamic covenant. Because it's still in existence. Amen. We're blessed with faithful Abraham. Are you following me? Okay, and uh, so you say, well, what is that circumcision of the heart? That's when you, that's when in your heart you believe upon Jesus Christ and you become a blood-bought, blood 
sealed part of his body, then you are an heir of the Abrahamic covenant. Isn't that the coolest thing? And in all other respects, we are equals to the natural born Jew. Because, you know, I think it was Paul that said that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. Male nor female. Amen. We're all, we're all equal in, in, in the covenant. And that's a wonderful thing. Praise God. Can you say amen? So what's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant? Circumcision. And then, we're, then we, uh, as we go along, 400 and some years later, a guy named Moses comes along. And, uh, and you know the whole story of Moses. How God appeared to him in, in a burning bush that did not burn. And said, I am the I am. And then he said, uh, you know, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. And, uh, and then he says, I'm called you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Because I've heard their cry. And because of the covenant that I have with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob. Uh, he said, I'm duty bound to get them out of Egypt. And so you go tell them that I'm coming to get them out of Egypt. You tell Pharaoh to let them go. Y'all remember that story? That whole that whole scenario, Moses' whole career was based upon the fact that Abraham made a covenant with God 400 years before. And to show you how far, how far away from God they had gone, Moses at the burning bush said, uh, what's your name? He didn't even know who that was. He, he just heard that voice speaking out of the burning bush. And he says, well, I, I, I got to go tell Pharaoh to let, let your people go. Who are you? <laughs> I think it's funny that he was ready to go, willing to go, but he, he wanted to know who he was going for. What's your name? <laughs> and God says, I am. You know, I am that I am. And uh, that... that uh, uh, identified him as the God, really the God of, of the Hebrews. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he went. Well, when he got the people out of Egypt, that's a long story that I won't repeat, and he got them through the Red Sea and got them out into the wilderness. Uh, they, God led them to Sinai, Mount Sinai, and they camped there. And there at Mount Sinai, Moses went up the mountain and God made a covenant with Moses. And it's called it's called the uh, the Sinai covenant. And in the Sinai covenant, uh, look at ex Exodus thirty-one, Exodus chapter thirty-one, and I'm reading out the New King James, verse sixteen, Exodus thirty-one sixteen. He says, "Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant." It is a sign. Now what, what is a sign? The Sabbath. Now in, in Noah's, Noah's covenant, the sign was a rainbow. Abraham's covenant, the sign was circumcision. Oh, you claim to be one of us? Let us see the sign. Aren't you glad you don't have to go through... Uh, Security like that. You know, it's almost that bad. But that was the sign. 
and the sign of the of the uh, Sinai covenant or the covenant that God made with Moses was the Sabbath. The Sabbath. You have to you have to rest on the Sabbath. You have to observe the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Therefore, uh, he says, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Now, who was, who was this covenant made for? It was between God and the children of Israel. God and the children of Israel. And for how long was this covenant supposed to last? Forever. So this covenant was made between God and the children of Israel and it was a forever covenant. To, and the sign of that covenant was the keeping of the Sabbath. And to this day, true Israelites keep the Sabbath. Well, what about us? Well, are you Israel? Don't get ahead of me. Are you Israel? How many of you were born Jews? I'm not asking if you got one in the woodpile somewhere. I'm just saying. So no one, no one here is a natural, physical Hebrew or Jew. So unless something happened and changed, we're not, we're not affected by that covenant on Mount Sinai that required the sign of the Sabbath. Right? Because it was for the children of Israel. He didn't say the children of Israel and the Egyptians, the children of Israel and Syria. No, he just said the children of Israel. It's a forever covenant between God and the children of Israel. And if you're not the children of Israel, you're not part of that covenant. Neither are you an heir to the promises. You're basically a stranger. As far as that, you know, you're a, an outlier. You're, you're a, 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 a infidel. Amen. You got no rights. You understand? We have physically, we have no claim whatsoever on this covenant. Until Jesus said, I am your Sabbath. Uh oh. How many of you received Jesus? Then now you are a keeper of the Sabbath. And you and that is a sign to you that you are no and now you're a part of that system and you are part of those covenants of promise and you do have you do have a standing in the sons of Israel community. And it's by faith. It's by faith. We're not required to fulfill a whole lot of the requirements of the of the Jewish customs and rituals that are based upon this this Sinai covenant uh, we we uh, but but the spirit of those things is carried over into the new covenant and Jesus just perfected them and completed them and made them even more eternal and more far-reaching for example you know um, the whole idea of having no graven images and no idols in your house 
Jesus said that, you know, you shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And, and basically he said, he said there are more things that are idols in people's lives than the graven images. He expanded. Everything Jesus touched it was expanded. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus says, if, you know, if you just look at somebody and, and have the wrong thought, you've committed adultery. Well, there are not too many people among us who've had no thoughts of, of uh, no no thoughts of impurity ever. Amen. Amen. Am I talking to the right people? Amen. It's hard to be a man of any age who can say, "I never lusted after anybody." I don't know what goes on in a woman's mind. But I know how men are, and you can be, you know. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm saying Jesus took it further than the law did. Jesus took it further and deeper than the law, but He applies more grace. You see, under the law there was no grace, but under under uh, under Jesus there's grace. That means God's help. God, see, God down through all the covenants of time. God watched and observed and, and, and saw that man, in spite of his good intentions, couldn't keep a covenant if his life depended on it. And so God says, well, I gotta, I, I'm going to help him. How is he going to help? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come down and I'm going to be a man. And I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to keep it perfectly to show them that it could be done. So they're not without guilt. And then I'm going to give my life, lay down my life, so that they can have me living and dwelling in them and helping them to keep those laws that I'm writing upon the tablets of their heart. You see, God realized we couldn't do it by ourselves, so He said, I'm going to come in, and I'm going to come into you, and I'm going to help you. Paul said, The Holy Spirit helps our infirmities. Romans 8. He helps our infirmities. You know what an infirmity is? It, it's a weakness or, or a, a tendency towards failure. The Holy Spirit comes in and He comes along beside of us and He helps our infirmities and helps us to do what we can't do without Him. Amen. So, what was the sign of the, uh, of the Moses covenant? The Sabbath. Okay, let's let's go to the the, the Davidic covenant. Are y'all enjoying this? Yeah, I got this out of a book I'm reading. Uh, Irene Fellows gave it to me, and 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 this guy he's Jewish, Messianic Jewish, and he's talking about the signs of the covenant. And I, you know, I just I thought you know that'll preach. So I'm I'm telling you I didn't get I didn't get all this stuff out of my own head, but it makes sense. And I have preached it in different forms. But what we need to understand, and I think what, what really needs to get into your heart is when God says He's going to do something, He never stops doing it. And when God makes a covenant, and He says this is an everlasting covenant, this is a, a non-ending covenant, this is a covenant unto all generations, that means it's still going. 
It's still going. Every covenant that God made with us was built, built upon the previous covenants. And you need to see that as we make this progression through, uh, through these covenants. Uh, the next one is the Davidic covenant. And it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10 through 16. Now, this Davidic covenant is the one that God, where God promises David that, 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 that his household will always be ruling in, in Israel. As long as Israel, you know, as long as there's something there to rule over, that the house of David will prevail through all through all generations, and uh, and it will be perpetuated through Jesus being a descendant of David, and Jesus becomes King of Kings and Lord of Lords forever. You see that? And so let me read it to you. Second Samuel seven ten. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more, as previously since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Everybody say house. house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, he's talking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before him. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. He's talking to David. And he's prophesying Jesus. But he's telling David, Here, here's my covenant with you. That, that, that there's a dynasty coming out of you, out of your loins, will come forth a dynasty, a ruling dynasty of kings. And they will be my house. And of course, it was David who gathered up all the materials for his son Solomon to build the temple. And so the sign, really, of the Davidic covenant is the house. The ruling house of David and the temple, which became the house of God. So when you think David, you think the covenant David, you think house. It reminds me of something Jesus said in John 14. He said, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. It's been translated mansions, but the, the Greek is rooms. In my Father's house, see, in, in the Father's house, there are many rooms. And if I go away, I'll prepare a place for you. And I will come again that I may receive you unto myself in the house. 
and it's the house of God. And Jesus is the head over his house. And the Bible says we are his household, his dwelling place, the place for the Holy Spirit to dwell. And so the Davidic covenant that's symbolized by house, we have entered into through Jesus and we have become a member of the household of God and temples of the Holy Ghost. 2 Corinthians 6 says we're the temples of the Holy Ghost. We're dwelling places for the Holy Spirit. So David had the temple, the literal physical temple in Jerusalem, as the symbol of his dynasty. But Jesus has the church as the symbol of his dynasty. And he's the head over it. And so we're a part of that continuing covenant that comes down from David. You see that? We're the house of God. Amen. Not this building. You have become the house of God. And that is what prepares us and gets us ready for the new covenant. The new covenant. See, all these things, everything, everything that's going on here is setting us up for Jesus to come and make the perfect and complete finish on God's plan of redemption of all time. And when Jesus died on the cross and said it is finished, I believe that's what he was talking about. I don't believe he was saying that the, uh, the, uh, the covenant with Noah is finished. I don't think he was saying that the covenant with Abraham was finished. I don't think he's saying that the covenant with Moses is finished. I think what he's saying is that I have put the finishing touches on the whole shebang. And now, we, now I can bring all mankind. Whereas before he was working primarily and almost totally exclusively through the, through the Jews. Now he says, now Peter, go to Cornelius' house. Now, now Philip, go down to Gaza and speak to an Ethiopian. Because I, I, have, I have brought everyone in. Through Jesus, I've read everyone who will come in through Jesus can come into my redemptive plan and be blessed. Do you see that? Uh, we find the new covenant first mentioned in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Boy, boy he's not talking about me yet, is he? The house of Israel. You see, that's one reason why we Christians have missed a lot. Because when we read the Bible and we read like, oh, God's making a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, we just kind of uh, mentally exempt ourselves from the whole process. Well, this is not for us. This is for the Jews. I did that for years when I was growing up. I, every time I'd see the word covenant or house of Israel, Judah, you know, uh, you know I would just dismiss it. I said, well, this has no impact on my life. This has nothing to do with me because I'm, I'm a Gentile. It's amazing. I, didn't, I couldn't even define those terms, but I, I, knew, I knew enough to exempt myself from the blessing. I don't want to tell you something right there. The devil's been trying to rob our blessing. And so I didn't exempt myself. I mean, I, I did for a long time. I even got to the place where I wouldn't even read the Old Testament. Yeah. 
I mean, Old Testament, that's for the Jews. New Testament, that... Everybody needs to understand. That's baloney. That's baloney. There is no Old Covenant and New Covenant in that sense. The, the Old Testament is just all the, uh, all the Hebrew Scriptures. And the New Testament is all the Greek Scriptures. The Old Testament was written by uh, Hebrews for Hebrews. The New Testament was written uh, in the Greek language for, for the Gentiles primarily. Now, it was also written for the Jews too because the first Christians were Jews. All the apostles were Jews. You got that? And so, you know, it was written in Greek by Jews. But it was so it would have a, a greater and wider uh, exposure throughout throughout that part of the world, so they put it in, they put it in Greek. But uh, understanding uh, that's why we have Old and New Testament. It's not it's Hebrew and Greek. If you realize that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John occurred before Jesus went to the cross, so technically it would have been in the Old Covenant. And everything Jesus did, he did as a member as a as a part of the old, uh, of what we'd call the Old Covenant. All his miracles. All his healings, everything he taught, everything he preached was was uh, to the people of the covenant, the Jews. How I many realize Jesus came to the Jews first? Well, so when does the new covenant? When does the new covenant begin? I think it begins the moment after Jesus rose from the dead and he came to his disciples and he breathed on them and he said, "Receive ye the Holy Ghost," because the Holy Spirit dwelling in us is the sign of the new covenant. Amen. Let's read about it. Uh, so Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, house of Jacob, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. Amen. From the least to them uh, of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now, can you uh, relate to this? Can you identify with any of this? I mean, th th this is talking my language now. Alright? Now look in Ezekiel 36. I'm talking about the, uh, the new covenant. Ezekiel 36, 24. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Now th this is sounding like... The Jews, right? Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments to do them. So the sign of the new covenant is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. That's the sign of the new covenant. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 
And I'm accelerating here because time has accelerated. It's funny how the first 15 minutes goes by and you're just rocking along and the next thing you know, you're in, you're in the wrap it up mode. But y'all stay until I finish, right? Okay. All right, Second Corinthians 121. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Okay, so the Spirit in our hearts is a guarantee. It's a sign. Right? Just like the rainbow in heaven is a guarantee. Still there. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5. Now, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Ephesians 1, 13. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So the Holy Spirit in you is a sign, a symbol, a sign, and a guarantee that all the provisions of the covenant are yours. And see, so you can't even come to Christ without the Holy Spirit drawing you. You cannot be born again. It's, a, it's an act of the Holy Spirit. You can't just turn over a new leaf. You have to be born again by the Spirit. Jesus didn't say you must you must make new resolutions and keep them. He didn't say that. He said you must be born again. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit. You can't be born again without the Holy Spirit. You can't come to Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You can't be born again unless the Holy Spirit does it. And He then comes to dwell in you. Now you do have a say in the measure in which the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you can say, that's enough for me right there. All I want to be is saved, ready to go to heaven. Sins forgiven, all that. All I want to be is born. All I want you to do, Holy Spirit, is qualify me. Or you can say, hey, Holy Spirit, I like your work. I like your style. I like what you can do for me. Why don't you just move in with me? Totally and fill me. Fill me up until I can't, I can't receive any more. And then begin to flow out of me. That's called baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's called being filled with the Holy Ghost. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your life becomes a sign and a wonder. Of what? The new covenant. Amen? So we're entering into it. The moment you're born again, you, you are entering into the new covenant. But you're, you're a long ways from going out the other side. Because it's still unfolding and still developing. And it will until we enter into that, that, that rest called His kingdom on earth. Or the eternal Sabbath. See, the Sabbath day is coming. But Jesus said in the meantime, spiritually, you can enter into His Sabbath or His rest. There is a rest for the people of God. 
And we're to labor, we're to endeavor to enter into that rest. It's a spiritual rest. But one of these days, it's all going to come together and there's going to be this eternal kingdom of Jesus where there is rest perpetually. And then we enter into God's seventh day by covenant. Can you say amen? amen? On the seventh day, God rested and He has been working and endeavoring ever since then to bring us into that seventh day of rest, which is His eternal kingdom. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe it can happen in a day. It's called the day of the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Have you heard about it? Uh, the day of the, it can happen in a day. So, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. You know, the, the, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the sign of the new covenant. But we, but we need to understand that the blood of Jesus is the, is the seal on that covenant. There's a difference between a sign and a seal. A sign points to the seal. A sign gives you access to the seal. But the seal is what seals it. You following me? 1 Corinthians 11.25, he says, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup in the new covenant is my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus, when he held the cup, he said, this whole new covenant is in my blood. It's in the blood. The new covenant is in the blood. Isn't that what he said? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant is in his blood. That's what buys it. That's what purchases it. That's what separates it for you. And that's what gets it to you. The blood of Jesus. Amen. Uh, look in Ephesians 2.14. For He Himself is our peace who has made both one. Now the both there, He's talking about the Jew and the Gentile. He's talking about that, that division between Jew and Gentile. That's always been there. He called it a middle wall of partition. It's something that separated us. You see, for, uh, up until Jesus... The covenants God made with Israel separated Israel from the rest of us. It put them in and kept us out. But when Jesus came, He tore down that middle wall that separated us. And it says that He has made us both one. And has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two. Thus making peace. Now we, we should honor that peace. Because he paid a tremendous price to make that peace. We should honor it. Instead of always, always trying to one-up ourselves on the other. Christians putting down the Jews, Jews putting down the Christians. That's not that's not nice. <laughs> Amen. So he says he says he he abolished in his flesh the enmity. Jesus abolished the enmity between us and the Jews. His blood was shed for him. 
so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. See, the blood of Jesus has prophesied a peace between Gentile and Jew that would bring us together in one body and present us before the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit. So you see, the new covenant began and there on the day of Pentecost, Jews and Gentiles, Jewish people and Greek people were all saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. You remember the seven deacons that were chosen to wait on tables? Did you know that six, I think six of them, maybe all seven of them, were uh, were not Jews. They, they, were, they were Gentiles. And the, their responsibility was making sure that the, the, uh, the Greek Christians were not uh, left out of you know all the benefits of being in the church. Because the Jews would have said, no, you can't have this, you're not a Jew. And they and they would they would uh, not appreciate them and disrespect them, and that's what was going on. And so they they appointed these deacons to make sure that the the uh, the Greek Christians got their got their part, got their share. And the first martyr of the church was a Greek named Stephen. How many of y'all knew that? You see, it was then, it was then and only then did Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek, whatever, come together and all become recipients and beneficiaries of all these covenants. Because it was there, Paul said, that, that we were grafted in. We were included in. The Jews are not excluded. They have to go through the same process of faith and believing that we do. But the only thing that's going to bring us together in one and, and usher in that eternal Sabbath, that, that forever kingdom, is going to be when we learn to work together and grow up spiritually and become one body. We used to sing a song. We pray that one day our unity will be restored. Well, you can't restore something that hasn't existed before. And so we need to get there. How many of you would agree? So we're not going to we're not going to we're not going to uh, discriminate according to are you are you Jewish or are you, are you Gentile? That's not the issue anymore. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? And if you are, then you are in line for the benefits of the covenants of promise. And 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 it's in the blood. It's in the blood, and it's in the spirit. Amen. Two things that we know and love and appreciate very much: the blood of the blood of Jesus, 
and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think this would be a good time to have communion, wouldn't you? So we're going to get our communion cups distributed and and uh, and then we're going to celebrate and remember the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Everything comes back to this. Everything is made possible by the blood. Amen. Bible says we enter we enter into God's presence by pressing through the torn veil, which is the body of Jesus Christ. You know, if if you take a body and you tear it in half, you hang it up, you tear it in half, and you say, "This is the entrance." In order to get from here into the next room, you've got to pass through this curtain. And by the way, this curtain happens to be a a ripped apart body that's still bleeding. And so you say, well, I want in that room, and the only way to get in that room is to press through press through the, the two parts of this riven body. And so you squeeze through, and you press through, and you close your eyes, and you press through, and you get to the other side. You're in there, and you look down, and you're covered in blood. That's exactly what happens when you try to enter into God's presence. You have to press through the blood. You have to press through the torn body. Because that's our curtain. Jesus called it door. He said, I am the door. He said, no man can come into the Father but by me. No man can come into the Father but by me. Why? Because I am the way. I am the truth and the life. The way. The way is the door. He said, no man can come into the Father but by me. What's he mean? But by pressing through me. Pressing through me. I am the door. You've got to press through me. And when you do, you're going to be covered in blood. But that blood is your ticket. It's your passport. Hallelujah. And that's the new covenant. The covering of new covenant blood. That all of the provisions, all of the benefits, going all the way back to the first covenant made by God to this very day, that every benefit and provision and blessing of those covenants become mine. And that you will reveal to me and enable me by faith to fulfill my part of being a member of this covenant. And we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.